you know, I had a priest tell me one time, I went in and I said, I just don't feel very happy. He said, but are you joyful? And I went, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I'm not happy. He goes, yeah, but are you joyful? Are you living in a state of grace? Do you know that you're living the life that God wants you to be living? He says, then you're joyful. Don't worry about being happy. You're not going to be happy all the time, but be joyful. And so even in the midst of depression, we have no doubt that God loves us. We have no doubt that we're on the right path, that he's going to take care of us, our marriage, our children, and this apostolate. Hey, friends, I just had a fascinating conversation with Greg and Jennifer Willits. They are probably some of you know them, but they are some of the original podcasters, some of the original Catholic podcasters ever. Now, they're not 100 years old. Podcasting is not that old, but um, they are senior at this game like no one else, and they're just awesome. It's a great conversation because when you work with pros, it's really easy to talk And these guys talk, and they are just incredible. It's going to be a great conversation. They're going to tell us about their love for a lady, their love for one another. And uh, there's a very special thing that the two of them are related to LifeSite about, and that is we employ their son, for whom we're very grateful. You don't know him because he's not often in front of the camera. He's behind the scenes all the time. His name is Walter Willits. This is the John Henry Weston Show. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Hey there, friends. I just wanted to tell you about something in case you didn't already know it. LifeSite is in partnership with a group called St. Joseph's Partners because in today's day and age where things are getting more and more strange out there, we want to be sure that, you know, we have some reserves of gold and silver so that if debanking happens, which has happened before and, and seems to have gone on with the truckers and everything else, that we at least have some backup. Um, And so there's been a lot of investing in gold and silver. We wanted to find a company, though, that we could trust with our investments like that. And St. Joseph's Partners is such a company. Obviously, by their name, you know that they're Catholics, and we know that they're very, very faithful indeed. You can go check out the shows I did with Drew Mason, who is the founder of St. Joseph's Partners. But also, I wanted to tell you about a neat little project we did. And this is really for both support of LifeSite News, but also for gifts for those people who sort of have everything and you wonder what you can get for them. Well, we minted a coin, uh, a silver coin, and it's a one ounce silver round, they call it. It has uh, LifeSite on the front for our 25 year anniversary that we're celebrating, but also on the back, it commemorates the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision. So it's a collector item coin and uh, encourage you to grab one for yourself, grab one as a gift for that person who seems to have everything else. They might like it very much. And uh, please support us at LifeSite News by getting our coin. Uh, We've just printed under 10,000 of them. So it's a collector item, limited edition. God bless you and thank you. Greg and Jennifer Willits, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Super glad to be here. great to be here. We're very excited. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 So, as I said in the intro, I'm speaking with some of the originals, some of the original Catholic podcasters on the planet. Now, you don't look old enough to be (laughs) my senior even, but there you are. You started doing this decades ago. Tell us about that to start with. Yeah, it it was really funny. The first time I ever heard the word podcast was actually... 
Uh, Patrick Madrid used to have a blog, Envoy Magazine, and someone buried about 20 comments down said, are you guys going to ever podcast? And I was like, what the heck is a podcast? So this was probably February of 2005. And within a month, we had launched the very first Catholic uh, podcast by a Catholic organization, Rosary Army Podcast. And literally to this day, I, I'm going to out my wife right now. To this day, she's never heard the first episode of that podcast. It was so bad. I recorded what? it like on a little tin can microphone up in my office, had no idea what I was doing, what what it was. But there were no uh, there weren't a lot of podcasts out there. And, and Apple had not even added it to iTunes yet. So did iTunes exist yet? Well, iTunes existed okay. because that, that's where the iPod idea came from. Mm -hmm. But recorded it, put it out there, had no idea what would happen. That was, <clears throat> excuse me, just the month before uh, Pope St. John Paul II died. So suddenly, you know, if you're a Catholic podcaster at that time, you wanted to hear other Catholic podcasters. So you had a choice of about five other people <laughs> at that time. <laughs> yeah. And so we all banded together. There was a group actually at that time called Disciples with Microphones is what we were calling ourselves. And we all did tributes to John Paul II at the time. Uh, when the Terry Schiavo uh, incident was happening back in 2005, we all recorded podcasts for Terry. And we're all just trying to figure out how do we do this? And then around the, I think, seventh or eighth episode, I was still working in the IT industry at the time, and I got laid off, and I was really angry, and I took my recorder, and I just podcasted about it and put it out into the Ethernet. And that's when things really changed, because suddenly we started hearing from other Catholics and other non-Catholics saying, I heard that podcast, and listening to you was like hearing my own thoughts brought out, and it just gave me so much peace to know I'm not alone. And that really is what started resonating with the, with us. And Jennifer soon joined the program shortly after that. Uh, we ended up, I don't know, within the first 20 plus episodes, having our first miscarriage. And again, we had people praying for us that were listening. And so we podcasted about that experience literally the day that we lost that child. And for years, literally years after that, we kept hearing from people saying, thank you for sharing that because I just lost a child. Thank you for sharing that because I've, I've struggled with this in the past. And so we really learned the power of podcasting. And in those early days, really what it was was community and so many people wanting to grow deeper in their faith, but not knowing who they can reach out to to share that journey with. And so that was the early days of podcasting for us and, and finding just so many comrades in arms in the church militant, you know, of, of Catholic podcasting in those early days. We had everyone from a priest in the Netherlands to a neurosurgeon in Kansas City to another priest at Franciscan University. We're all banded together and, and our friendships uh, still to this day are very strong from that experience uh, of being very blessed to have been among that that initial crowd of people just trying to figure out how how does this technology work and how could it help the church. We're very grateful to you at LifeSite because you've trained and brought to us someone who's very special to us. Behind the camera, behind the scenes, in fact, behind the computer most of the time, is uh, your son, Walter Willits, who has just been fabulous for us. He was able to bring us the vast experience that comes from you, so thank you. Our pleasure. We're very proud of that, of, of, well, of all of our kids, of course, but it's, yes. it's, it's really been amazing watching Walter choose the path that he chose and to see it go down a pathway that leads him to serving Jesus in this way. It's been a pretty amazing thing to see. So thank you for employing our son. <laughs> <laughs> it's our great privilege. You guys have been doing this many, many years, but you've chosen to focus right now on Our Lady. You did Rosary Army. Well, tell us about Rosary Army, first of all. 
Well, that's another, you know, stumbling into an amazing thing that, that could never have planned it. Um, literally went to confession one day. The priest was sitting there in the confessional. No one, no one was waiting uh, to go to confession. So I walked in, the priest was praying the rosary, and he had a single decade uh, knotted rosary using really thick rope. And I just remember seeing it, thinking, that's really kind of cool. Forgot all about it. And then literally two months later, I was sitting in my little cube in my IT job and remembered that and looked all over online trying to find instructions for making one of those things. I found some printed instructions. I need pictures. I need, you know, that, I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to trying to figure out stuff like that. But I found these some written instructions. I went to every craft store around, finally found some ugly macram macrame cord and cobbled together one of the ugliest rosaries that you've ever seen in your life. It was my first uh, all twine knotted rosary. But I was hooked instantly and started making them, got better twine uh, that we have been recommending people use for all these years, started making them and going to church and just would see someone and feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to give them that rosary and just kept giving them and giving them and giving them. And then people started asking, well, how are you doing that? And how are you making them? So started making them, I was praying it more and then giving them away. And that's that became the motto of Rosary Army, gave a talk to a bunch of teens, literally uh, it was 20 years ago this month, and during that talk about the rosary, about uh, John Paul II, talked about this compulsion I had just a few months before in September of 2002 to start making these rosaries. And then literally the next month, John Paul II declared the year of the rosary. And it just rocked my world that th these two things were happening at the same time. And then a few months later, I'm teaching these teens, and I told them that when I started making them. And then the year of the rosary was declared. And then I started seeing these other rosary ministries popping up all over the world. I started to realize this isn't just something that I'm doing, but it's literally like an, an army that's being brought up. And those kids, I taught them how to make these rosaries that weekend and taught them the initial knots. And then they went off and worked on it at their own. And all weekend long at that retreat, those kids kept coming up to me with their finished rosaries and saying, look, I'm in the army now. Look, I'm in the army now. I went home that night March of 2003, and registered rosaryarmy.com. It's 20 years ago. Millions of rosaries have been distributed either directly from our apostolate since then or from the countless thousands of people that have learned how to make them since then. You see them on college campuses. Youth groups make them all the time now. And it's just been an amazing thing for us to see. So that's the, the, the beginning of Rosary Army. But it just led to so many other things over these last 20 years. It's amazing, 20 years to the date right now. That That's really providential for us to be talking now. Talk, that's a very significant anniversary of being able to share. My dad referred to the rosary as the umbilical cord to your heavenly mother. And uh, beautiful, beautiful thing. You are embarking on a new project um, called School of Mary. What is that? Well, School of Mary is actually another one of my husband's great loves. And it really, it all starts with him. And I have just tried to be a responsive and attentive Catholic wife and pay attention to the work my husband is doing, because one of my prayers is to be married to a holy man at all times. And my husband is really growing in this area. And he was very quickly drawn to St. Louis de Montfort and this total consecration, which also got on our radar about 20 years ago, right around the, the years of the formation of Rosary Army. And everything kind of began with my husband, but I very quickly saw that I needed to join him in these initiatives. I needed to grow with my husband in this spirituality of our Catholic faith. And so 20 years ago, we both decided to just 
take a leap of faith and try this total consecration discipline of prayers, of which we didn't know much about. Um, but we had a really good priest at the time saying, you need to do this. You need to trust Mary and just wait and see what will happen when you do. And uh, so we just trusted and we started praying and surrendering, again, not really knowing a whole lot about what we were doing because we were kind of young. We were um, early 30s. We were 15 at the time, no. John Henry. You're just 15 years <laughs> no. old. Okay, we're in our 30s, all right? So you think about when you were 30 and where you were in your faith life. Okay, you know a whole lot more now than you did 20 years ago. So Mary worked with that, you know, with how immature we were in our faith. And um, we realized this was something really special. And it started to transform our lives for the next 20 years. And so we realized we needed to somehow promote this, that we, as we looked at the the state of our world, just spiraling downward in its morals and impurities, and the world needs to remember Mary and get back to her. So it's like, all right, well, we, let's promote total consecration. So how do we bring this into our modern audience? Because we don't want to water down or modernize something beautiful in its traditional state. It's It needs to lift people up and bring you to the higher place. So we need to keep it intact. That was really important to us. And we love how St. Louis de Montfort was challenging. And it's classical in the way that it's written. And it's like written centuries ago. And so you really have to wrestle with its his language and use of words. Uh, but that's part of the appeal. And that's part of what calls you up to that higher standard. So we wanted to do this. And we thought, School of Mary is a term I believe that St. Louis de Montfort had used often in his writings. And we really loved that phrase, sitting at the feet of Mary. And so we knew that the phrase was very special. It's very inviting and comforting. And so we wanted total consecration to have a really good place to sort of exist, to appeal to a wider audience. And so that's really where the School of Mary is right now. It's not completely ready to launch to the public, but it is actively being fleshed out and built right now. And I just have to give credit to my husband for really seeing this mission through. Um, it's been a long, long time that he has loved this idea of School of Mary, and we're so close to being able to launch it to the world. Yeah. And, and so what we envision it to be is a learning platform mm -hmm. and a community. And because we hear from people all the time that while we already have total consecration resources on our website, they oftentimes feel alone or they feel lost. We encourage them to stick with St. Louis Marie de Montfort's uh, words and his instruction, but we also understand, like Jennifer said, that difficulty sometimes to understand it. So right now we're re-recording not only the prayers, but we're doing a daily reflection and commentary on it to help people to have a better understanding of what does this mean in the 21st century and to not be afraid of words he uses like slavery to Mary. Or when we say that we're going to completely give up all that we have, our family, whatever it might be, it can be terrifying uh, if you think about it in modern day definitions. But it shouldn't be a scary thing because we also see very clearly where he talks about how she who is full of grace is going to completely take care of our needs. And we have nothing to be afraid of. And so really making sure that people are seeing that and that we also are providing a community place so that other people that are going through not only total consecration, but many of the other programs that we have planned for down the road, 
many of which will deal with other works of St. Louis-Marie de Montfort, as well as we do another podcast called Catechism Class. That's going to be incorporated into School of Mary and other things that we'll announce over time. But all these things for people to come in and find a place where they can grow in their faith, know that they're going to have traditional reverent materials. That's also fun. I mean, we, we can't help it but to joke around and laugh. And, and we enjoy uh, we enjoy our faith. We, we actually find it fun and, and interesting. And sometimes we'll hear something and we'll make a joke about it, but people know how seriously we take the faith at the same time. We'll die for our faith. We would do anything for our Blessed Mother and for her son. And, and we want to help other people to get to that place. And so that's what we envision School of Mary being. Truly, Rosary Army is the entry point. Rosary being, here's this, this core way for you to meditate on the life of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. We all need the rosary, but you can't help but to want to go even deeper when you pray the rosary. The more you pray the rosary, when you make it a daily practice, you're going to be pulled in to want more from the faith. And so we hope the School of Mary is going to be able to do that. We're working very hard to try to make everything that we're going to make available for free to people because this is so critical for them to have access to these resources. And so we're we're just trusting Mary. I mean, we've been living on loaves and fishes for the last few years. We keep telling people, God has never let us down. We're trusting him to provide everything that we need. And so far, we're exactly where we need to be in making this project happen. So praise God for those things. One of the neat things about you two, if I might say, is that that joy aspect is really evident. Watching you interact on your show brings a lot of joy. It really does inspire. If you ever wonder, you know, at people thinking to talk to you, don't because your joy, your interaction with one another is so loving. It's infectious. So that's a great witness all by itself right there. What brought you to that place? Obviously, I mean, married couples go through a lot. And, um, you know, it's sometimes hard. But um, you share an evident love and joy with one another that's really touching. where do you think that came from or how do you keep that going? Well, I think I would attribute it to the early podcasting days. That was our first real venture into communicating in this very unique way. Okay, so you have to go back 20 years and just to even unwind the technology clock a little bit. It's, you know, Facebook wasn't around. YouTube was just starting to like get out there, but nobody really knew what it was yet. So this is kind of the world we're in. And so my husband and I are trying to podcast and it like nobody would know what we were doing, but we were talking to this plastic microphone in our closet and we're sharing really deep things to this unknown void of whatever. But in doing that, we were sharing so authentically from our hearts, but how, how could we not benefit from that as a married couple? We were practicing communicating in a very safe and intelligent and in a considerate way. I highly recommend married couples, if you want to get into an argument, put microphones in front of you and then start talking. And imagine there's an audience right there. You're going to play nice automatically. And you start automatically just nicer. nicer. You will play nicer. It just tempers your passions. And that is key to growing in holiness. It's about controlling those passions and looking out for one another, but still we're human. There were times when we were working um, for the Catholics next door for the Catholic channel a few years ago, where we were doing live radio. So this is three hours of live radio, five days a week. 
things can get a little unpredictable in that format of broadcasting where we had live callers. And there were times when we would step on each other's toes live and on the air, and there was no way out of those situations. And there were times, because I'm a female, I'm just saying, I would be sensitive. <laughs> and he would step on my toes. Now, thankfully, there was no video component, so I could use sign language, and I would just go like... <laughs> <laughs> but there Look were at, tears. You know. There were tears at times <laughs> on the radio. Eyes would get red, you know, and he was like, "Okay, don't look at my don't look at her. I just can't look at her right now." And and that was but we we got through it and we grew through those struggles. And we know that we love each other and we know that we want the best for each other. And so doing this literally weekly for almost 20 years has made a difference. We are in it now. We are so committed to our work. We are so committed to serving our queen, our lady, that we're all in. It's like, I don't care. She's got it. What do we have to worry about? We're all in now. And it feels so wonderful to be united in this calling as husband and wife. It's amazing. I, I remember in the very early days of Rosier Army, uh, there was news in, in the Catholic world and just a couple of, there were some Catholic couples that got divorced and it was just a, such a shock and it really hurt our hearts. And as Rosier Army was starting, it became a cautionary tale for us as well, that we really have to make our marriage strong. It, w the devil would love to rip us apart. The devil, it would just be such an incredible victory if Greg and Jennifer Willits, who, like she said, on the Catholics Next Door, on Sirius XM for all those years, the Catholics Next Door, right? If they got divorced, if the devil could tear us apart. If here's this family that has been promoting um, being open to life and following the church's teachings in that regard, if the devil could rip them apart, how glorious that would be for the devil, right? And so we've always had that cautionary you know, devil sitting on our shoulder and, and that, that warning. And I, I think so much about one marriage in particular that I remember reading about in those early 2000s. And just feeling so sad for that situation because it was a devoted Catholic couple and then this happened to it. And then we saw, you know, even some priests that we loved dearly fall and give up their priesthood. And so they gave up their vocation and to see those kinds of things. So we know that it can happen. And so we've worked very hard to make this commitment, this, this sacramental marriage. This isn't just this isn't just marriage. This is the sacrament. This is holy matrimony that we're engaged in. And we have to keep that at the forefront of, of our personal lives. And as long as we do that, as long as we, I mean, listen, we're going to receive graces from this amazing holy sacrament, right? We receive graces. We need to take advantage of those graces to be able to do this work and to trust Jesus and Mary to protect it, as, uh, protect our marriage as well. So thank you for making that comment about the joy. It's, it's not easy. I mean, if people that listen to our show know, particularly in the last five years, a topic that we never talked about was mental health issues. And in the last five years, that's something that I've had to be transparent about that I have suffered from that for most of my life. But it has been God that has seen us through. And our marriage has, I think, strengthened as a result of her struggles, Jennifer's struggles with having to deal with me in periods of really deep depression and anxiety. And then how thankful I have been for her and try to lift her up uh, when I can because of the way that she takes care of me in those times. And so, again, in sickness and in health, you don't always think about mental issues, but that I, I actually think that God has blessed us uh, by giving us that, that cross, that illness for these last almost 28 years of marriage, that when she came into this, she didn't realize that was there. 
And it became really evident when two couples, uh, couples living together uh, after marriage, and you can't hide that kind of stuff anymore. And it's just amazing how God can take even you know this huge thorn of, of mental health issues that I carried my, my whole life and can help us become stronger, a stronger couple, and actually still do amazing things uh, for the church. And so we add that mental health topic. You know, we, we mentioned when we had a miscarriage, people responded to it, or unemployment, people respond to it. Since we started talking about mental health issues a few years ago, it's amazing not a week goes by where we don't hear from a Catholic who's dealing with it or has a spouse that's dealing with it. And it's it's an area that we just need to talk more about. But that's that's a roundabout way of saying we're very aware. It's not always joyful. But, you know, I had a priest tell me one time, I, I went in and I said, I just don't feel very happy. He said, but are you joyful? And I went, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I'm not happy. He goes, yeah, but are you joyful? Are you living in a state of grace do you know that you're living the life that God wants you to be living? He says, then you're joyful. Don't worry about being happy. You're not going to be happy all the time, but be joyful. And so even in the midst of depression, we have no doubt that God loves us. We have no doubt that we're on the right path, that he's going to take care of us, our marriage, our children, and this apostolate. Working in active apostolate has often been said to be able to transfer the faith to your children much more easily. It's somehow, um, that's why pro-life activists have a better success rate with their children in terms of raising them in the faith because that the very activism in the faith tends to do something for the faith of the kids. Have you found that yourselves? Well, yes. And I would have to say that all of our children are still active in their Catholic faith. So praise be to God. Um, but I'm always, as mother, I'm always watching and praying. And if I see a concern, <laughs> then I just pray harder for that particular child. But we have four boys, and uh, our youngest child is actually a girl. So we're very blessed to have finally experienced the joys of having a daughter. And she's 14 right now, but already there's conversations about the possibility of a vocation into religious life. And that is a fruit that I never thought I would even witness this early on in the parenting you know, life. Um, and I really had to come to terms with that because selfishly, when I first had her and I loved her so intensely as mother and daughter, it's like, yes, finally I'm getting the daughter. You know, when I entertained the thought of her being a nun, I bristled in my selfishness. I was like, but no, but I, I want her. I want her to follow my <laughs> footsteps. I mean, the I and the me is like, oh, it's awful. Now I'm like, oh, what a gift it would be. What a gift it would be for the church if if she would fulfill that desire and dream. And if the Lord calls her to be a nun, that would be such an honor. But seriously, all of our children, we're so proud of them. They're they're very active in their faith. And but I know it's not the, you know, their lives are not over yet. There's still, I think, a lot of seeds that we planted. Um our home, we've tried very hard to make it a very Catholic-looking home so that there's no doubt of our Catholic faith. When you walk into our home, there's always pictures, there's Mary, rosaries, you know, there's just an, uh, exterior signs everywhere. I know that's doing something, too. So then when they go and they start their own homes, they'll have that as a reference point where they can maybe want to draw upon that and and take that in, in their futures as they build their families. So it's interesting to see what will happen. I appreciate what has happened, but I know life <laughs> is so full and long. Um, but my prayer is that they always stay on the righteous path no matter what. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to try and get you guys to rewind even further because your faith is so strong. Where did the, How did you get there even? Because this is a struggle. I mean, you guys are probably around my age wasn't an easy time to uh, 
have the faith, let alone maintain it. Well, I know what's really helped in the last year and a half. <laughs> that was, we made a big switch on uh, where we went to Mass. Um, <laughs> and it actually, I mean, talk about providential, um, like a timeline of events. During the early months of the pandemic, I watched you interview Dr. Scott Hahn about his book, Hope to Die. I I don't think I ever saw you before that day. <laughs> I didn't know who you were. And this is before Walter, you know, uh, started working with you. But I was so drawn to that interview. And then in that interview, Dr. Scott Hahn made a reference to Bishop Athanasius Snyder. And I was like, well, who's that? Because he really impressed Dr. Scott Hahn, and I don't know who this this bishop is. And so I was led to him and that Christus Vincent book, and then, you know, it was just a cascade of events. And then I started realizing that my reception of the Eucharist could be more reverent, and I didn't realize that receiving in the hand was improper, and that, what's this about wearing a veil? I mean, like, I was totally waking up. I was like just coming alive to this deeper reverence option during the pandemic, you know, the early time of the pandemic. Are, are you going to tell the story about the email that you sent? To Bishop Schneider? <clears throat> yeah. So my wife no, wakes up but... in the middle of the night <laughs> and she does what she what what most wives would do, right? <laughs> She's concerned about her reception of the Eucharist at the church that we go it to. It was an unusual situation. So, I won't so, go into that. So but... here we are in the state of Georgia, the United States, and my wife just goes into the closet Wait. or whatever and gets her computer and, and writes out an email to <laughs> Bishop Athanasius Schneider asking for clarification on something. In my defense, <laughs> I will say that I wanted an authentic answer that I could trust on the reverence of yeah. the Eucharist. Yeah. And I thought, who do I know in the entire world that could I would trust the answer? And he was the only man to come to mind was this man, Bishop Schneider. He's holy. He's reverent. It's him. It's got to be him. So I'm just going to send this email. I'm just going to Google whatever. How do I find him? And if he answers, he answers. If not, if I'm one of a million emails he gets, then, I, then he won't answer. No harm, no foul. Uh, within 10 hours, he responded like a good father, just so kind and loving. And he set me straight. Yeah. And he did not mince any words. And he gave me the truth. And I'm like, okay, that's what I needed to hear. And he corrected me lovingly like a good father. And it's like, all right, now I know. But that was the beginning of chasing reverence. And very soon after, we discovered the Latin Mass. And that was that oh, put us on a whole it. new <laughs> trajectory yeah. of reverence. And I feel like I'm trying to live an ad orientum life. That's my goal yeah. now, just to always face God no matter what. But going back before that, you know, like you were, you were mentioning, we're probably about the same age, 70s and 80s. Um, I have lived in eight different states, uh, many parishes in many of those states. And I, I would say that it wasn't until the last few years that I, I did find a parish where I was truly at home, where I felt like the reverence I've been seeking for all these years was there. I, I have so oftentimes lament that it wasn't until after I was married. Uh, Jennifer and I, I think Jennifer was pregnant with Walt the first time I ever went to Eucharistic adoration. And how in the world... Did I attend all these parishes in all these different states? And that was never introduced to me until that time. So that would have been 1998, 99, sometime around that time frame. How, how have I been Catholic my entire life? But, you know, growing up, because catechesis was so loosey-goosey, I remember very clearly uh, when I was in first or second grade, seeing uh, the priest explain how we're going to switch and everyone's going to start receiving in the hand. 
That same parish I remember on Palm Sunday one year, they had us throw streamers in the middle of mass. And we went to another parish where uh, for Palm Sunday, they had us with those giant balloons you see at concerts and literally throwing the balloon around during mass. And so that was kind of my idea of the mass is supposed to be like this. And then I'd go somewhere else and it'd be something different. And so I was very confused. And then I also would hear a teaching of the church, like not using contraception, but then know what I considered to be very solid, good Catholics that were using it or had even been sterilized. And so a lot of confusion. It's like, what, what am I supposed to believe and what am I supposed to do? All these things. And then when Jennifer and I met in our mid-20s, it was really important to me to go to daily or to go to Sunday Mass, but I would say I, I was not a good Catholic at all at the time. I, I, I joke, but it's a, a truth. I remember one time that when I was in college, uh, the college I went to, the team made it to the Final Four in basketball. I'm not really a sports fan, but I knew I was going to go to someone's house on that Saturday night and watch that game. So I made sure that I went to the Saturday evening vigil because I was going to be too hungover the next day to go to Mass. I mean, that was my thinking. I went to Mass, but I'm going to get really stinking drunk tonight. I mean, so it's like, <laughs> what, what, what was I thinking, right? What, 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 I had no real solid uh, idea of how to live out my faith. And it was after we got married. And, you know, this is the great thing about the sacraments. I mean, when, when you receive the sacraments, the graces of the sacraments start going to work. And so when, when we got married, when Jennifer was younger, her parents actually left the Catholic Church just a couple of weeks before her first communion. So she never completed the sacraments of initiation. And so it, when, when we got married, she wasn't Catholic. But it was important to me to get married in a Catholic Church. She agreed our first couple of years of marriage, we're just kind of stumbling through things. And it wasn't until we, after we had our first son, and he was almost a year old before she agreed to ha let him be baptized in the Catholic Church. Oh. And once he was baptized, <laughs> now I'm awful. telling her story. Now I'm telling you, you should feel awful for that. That's so it's terrible. Like, <laughs> once, once he was baptized, you know, and I'm telling your story for you, That's she fine. said, you know, she felt like she was the odd person out in our in our family then. Yeah, and two then, out of three. And are she Catholic. started to feel that that pull. She needed to be. She needed to, to complete her sacraments, and so she started going through. And I don't know if you knew you were pregnant with Walt. No, but, not but, at the time. But when she was confirmed, John Henry, you'll appreciate this. Walter, who works for you, when she was confirmed, Walter was in her womb, and that's hmm. that's a pretty amazing thing yeah. uh, for us to know that. And and we may not have known it at the time, but that's that's. That's so the case. Easter Vigil 99. I was just two weeks pregnant with Walter, but I didn't know it for another few weeks. But it was uh, really fun. But in the next few years, I mean, when we got married, we were a contracepting couple because we didn't know. We didn't understand. We thought things were optional. And it wasn't until a very, very br uh, brave deacon gave a homily and explained the teachings of the church and explained the immorality of contraception and I remember going home that night and saying to Jennifer, I think we need to talk. She goes, we're not talking about anything. <laughs> well, <laughs> we talked. Uh, we, listened, we listened to Dr. Janet Smith's tape, Contraception, Why Not? And two weeks later, she was pregnant with our third child. And since then, we've had two more children join us on this earth. We have five kids on earth and five in heaven. And, and uh, we're very thankful for that openness to life. And going back to one of your original questions, where does that joy come from? I think openness to life definitely has played a huge role in that. It's made us understand the gift of sexuality that God has given us in our marriage, and it's helped us to appreciate and respect each other more. It's blessed our children with siblings that they wouldn't have had because we would have stopped. We would have quit having kids. 
uh, it's, it's the blessings have just been innumerable. And, and so I really, you know, we, now that we're in our fifties, we don't think and talk about that as much as we used to, but in the early days of podcasting, that was natural family planning and, and that kind of topic. That was a regular conversation for us. People used to joke anytime we would do a podcast about natural family planning, she'd be pregnant within a couple of weeks. So it's like, <laughs> that, <laughs> that happened, that happened a lot. <laughs> Amazing. You know, what's really good about the church crisis uh, today is that there's never been more teaching about contraception because as they're fighting it, it gets talked about. So we finally got the teaching out, the word out on uh, the Catholic Church is supposed to be against contraception. Uh, although growing up, you'd never have known that. Any parting words for us? We'd love to, if you don't have a rosary, we'd love to give you one. We have free audio rosaries on our website that have been downloaded millions of times. If you need someone to pray with, come to our website and pray with us. We'd be happy to do that. And go over to schoolofmary.com and sign up, and we'll let you know as soon as all of our Total Consecration new resources are available and so much more. We'd love to accompany you in your journey to growing closer to Jesus through Mary. It kind of sounds like we're ending one of our shows. I feel like you need to tell everybody, don't forget to pray a rosary <laughs> yeah. every day <laughs> and do, do whatever it takes to be holy. <laughs> God bless, goodbye. Amen. Just going to automatic mode all of a sudden. <laughs> but thank you, John Henry, for, for having us on your program. It's an honor to be here, to finally get to speak to you after all this time. And we have so appreciated this. Oh, God bless you guys. Thank you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.